The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us again here on The Way BK podcast. We've been moving through the Old Testament over the past few weeks with a reading plan that we've been trying to keep up with and encouraging other people to read. If you're looking for some direction in your Bible reading, we'd be happy for you to join us. Reach out either on our website, thewaybk.com, or on our Facebook page, The Way BK. And really, even if it's beyond just Bible reading, if there's other things that you're trying to figure out or you need some help with or some guidance on, we might be able to help reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you as you're trying to seek the Lord. And that goes for whether you're somebody who's been believing in Jesus for a long time and trying to follow him, or if you're brand new to faith, or if you're not even a person of faith and you just have questions and you want to talk, um, we're here for everybody. All of the conversations and studies that we engage in are, of course, free of charge. We're just trying to do all we can to help out as the Lord's helped us. So we're moving into the books of Samuel this month here in July. and these are some of my favorite books. I think are they're even if you're not a Bible reader, these are great introductions to the Bible because there's a lot of palace intrigue drama. Um, there's heartening stories of courage. There's romance, strange romance to be honest, but still romance. There's all kinds of just interesting stuff, period. Just from frankly a drama perspective, this is one of those sections of the Bible. I don't know how they haven't made a Netflix series out of it. I know there's a lot of uh, political stuff about making Bible movies, but really you could just take it straight up and have a pretty successful series. Probably not one that uh, would be rated PG or anything, honestly, because there's some bad stuff that happens here. And that's the other thing. This lesson teaches uh, this, these books, First and Second Samuel, which in their original form were one, one unit. Uh, they just get separated out in our English versions. They have a lot of stuff that's not good. And it's not approved of. It's not like God's like, hey, look how terrible everybody was. It was great. It's teaching us lessons. Um, and overall, the, the lesson of the book of Samuel is that God exalts the humble. A lot of humble, lowly, poor people in these books. He exalts the humble and he brings low the mighty or the proud. And over and over again, almost every single story in the book of Samuel hits on these themes. And we're going to kind of note that as we move throughout first and second Samuel, I even see the, the trajectory of that lesson, but that really gets going right at the very beginning of the book of Samuel. So Caleb, why don't you set it up here as we dive into first Samuel and see this theme of God exalting the lowly and bringing low the mighty. So we're still in the days of the judges and it's a bad time in Israel's history. Um, you know, there's all kinds of corruption. Uh, we're going to find out in chapters one and two that there's a lot of corruption even in uh, the priesthood uh, itself. The very people who are supposed to be leading the people closer to God have become corrupt. Um, but right here at the beginning of the book, we're introduced to uh, a man named Elkanah who has two wives. One is named Hannah and the other Penina. Penina has uh, lots of children. Life is good for her. Um, and Hannah is barren. She has no children. Um, so because of that, Elkanah, um, has like a deeper affection and love for Hannah. He would always give her like a double portion when they went to offer the sacrifice and eat their peace offering before the Lord. Um, 
he has this soft spot in his heart for Hannah. Um, but uh, the other wife, Penina, is always mocking her and provoking her and irritating her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so year after year, this takes place. She's getting provoked. Hannah's getting provoked. She's weeping. She wouldn't eat um, when they come together for the sacrifice. Elkanah's like, what's the deal, Hannah? Why are you weeping? Don't, you know, why are you so sad? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? And obviously the answer to that was no. I don't know why he asked that question. But, uh, but nonetheless, we're introduced to this picture of this, this woman who is downcast, who's broken, who's hurting, who is greatly humbled, um, humiliated. Uh, and uh, so she's pouring out her heart to the Lord. And while she's pouring out her heart to the Lord in prayer, which, by the way, that's a pretty good definition of what, it, what prayer is supposed to be like, pouring out your soul to God. And while she's doing that, the priest there thinks, I mean, this just shows you how bad it is in Israel. Um, you know, the priest thinks that she's come into the temple and she's drunk. Um, Got another one here, boys, another drunk lady in the temple. <laughs> they get her. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, uh, you know, he sees her, uh, her lips are moving but she's not actually saying anything out loud. She's only speaking in her heart. She's so distressed. And he thinks she's drunk. So she says, how long are you going to make yourself drunk? Put, your, put away your wine. And Hannah says, no, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I haven't drank anything. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not drunk, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. And then she appeals to the priest say, don't, saying, don't consider me like one of the worthless women. Um, I've spoken about my great concern and the provocation. And Eli then says to her, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you've asked for him. That's chapter 1 and verse 16 um, and 17. And, and, and the whole point of, I think, this story is to show that actually God is going to exalt those who are oppressed in spirit, those who are humiliated, those who are lowly but turn to him. He will raise them up. And so just as... Um, just as God promised, uh, or just as the, the priest promised, God came tr made true of that promise. And Elkanah has, has, knows his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembers her, and she conceives and she gives birth to a son. And, and, and she had promised that if, she, if God would give her a son, she would give him back to the Lord. And so Hannah raises up this child. Um, she, she names him Shemuel or Samuel. Because she says, I've asked him, I've asked him of the Lord. And just as God gave her this child, then she gives the child back to the Lord, which I love. That is the right response to God exalting the lowly. When God gives great gifts to those who are lowly, when he blesses us, when we were humble or when we were humiliated, oppressed in spirit, it ought to be that we use those blessings to return that blessing back to God. And Hannah does that by offering up her son um, as, a, as a servant of the Lord. And so Samuel then ends up uh, living in the, in the uh, tabernacle area there with Eli and his sons and learning to serve as a, as a prophet and a priest before the Lord. Yeah, and I love how Hannah's story is sort of emblematic of, of the story that God's been telling throughout what we've been looking at the past few months throughout the Old Testament. So even that language of God remembered Hannah, that gets used right. a couple other times at key junctures, like in Genesis 8, when Noah, the rejected one, 
the loser of all the world that everybody ridiculed, thought was a weirdo, who was building this boat for who knows what reason. In Genesis 8, after the flood waters washed away the evil of the mighty people on earth, it says, and, and God remembered Noah. And of course, brought Noah back, you know, took the flood waters away, brought Noah back to earth, etc. In Exodus chapter 2, when the Israelites were oppressed by Pharaoh, at the end of Exodus chapter 2, it says God remembered the covenant that he had made with Israel's forefathers, and that brought about the Exodus. And here, Hannah, which of course we look at, it, especially in our modern times, this is kind of an emotional thing. Oh, like you can't have a baby. That's really sad. I'm sorry. But it, it doesn't have a lot of practical importance in our eyes, uh, I should say, in, in the secular world's modern perspective. And even in Christ, we don't see it as some sort of deficiency in a person's worth if they can't have a child, though it may be sad. Like sad is maybe an understatement. It's, it can be really, uh, really, really deeply troubling to not be able to have children. But in this era, if you didn't have children, you were cooked. You were done. You had no, like whenever your husband dies, the reason why he's not better than 10 sons, is he's not going to live long enough to take care of you. Um, or, you know, if he dies, which was likely war, just random stuff, disease, whatever it may be. Well, then what happens to you when you don't have anybody to take care of you? So this is a huge deal. She was impoverished by not having a child and God remembered her. And so this is kind of just a continuation and a real um, focusing in on this theme throughout the Bible of God lifting up the lowly, which really comes out in chapter two. I don't know if you got any particular uh, beats on, on the Hannah's prayer, the, the poem prayer that she, she offers in chapter two, but it kind of really summarizes this, this notion of God exalting the lowly. She's speaking about herself, but it really kind of serves as the theme song of the rest of the, the book. story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's a lot of really powerful lines in that song uh, that she prays in, in chapter two. Um, some of my favorite, though, starting in verse four, um, well, it's starting really in verse three, boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. He makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth of the Lord's and he set the world on them. I love this because it's really, it's, it is, it's the whole story of Samuel. It's also really the whole story of the Bible in some right. ways. Like, I mean, this is like, this is like the, the whole story of Jesus too is, is about Jesus turning the world upside down. We talk about in the gospels, the great reversal with Jesus, how, all, how the mighty are brought down low and how the lowly are lifted up high. Um, that's it, a rather poor in spirit kind of thing. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and that's what you're seeing here. And it's, and it's very, it's deeply personal. For him. Literally has um, a sister wife who, uh, who has many children who's been making her, uh, oppressed in spirit, making her to feel um, useless and worthless as a woman 
And, uh, and now the Lord not only gives her a son, but then after he gives her the son and she gives him back to the Lord, the Lord grants her with many more children as well. So those lines about even the barren gives birth to uh, seven, but she who has many children languishes really are, are I think, deeply personal for Hannah in her own experience. Um, you know, the Lord is bringing judgment upon, uh, upon Penina, who, who has uh, afflicted her for so long, while also showing great mercy and grace, abundant grace and loving kindness to Hannah and lifting her up. Um, out of her pain and, and her, her suffering and her poverty. And to, you, you mentioned this earlier, but I think it's worth pointing out. The thing that, that made Hannah get exalted wasn't just that she was lowly, but that she, her lowliness led her to turn to the Lord. She's right. pouring out her soul to the Lord. Just like Israel in Exodus 2, the reason why God remembered them is because they were groaning out. They were crying out. The reason why God remembered Noah in Genesis 8 was because Noah had been faithful to the Lord and obeyed the Lord and done what he said. Um, maybe with the only exception being God taking dirt, which did nothing, and he formed a human being out of it and made that into his image and likeness. Literally, the Bible story talk, starts with God taking the lowest thing right. in the creation and making it into the highest thing, dirt to the image bearer, right? Um, and as you pointed out, this will eventually go to Jesus. Jesus, who always did the will of his father, he's the one that was, though he was made low, the lowest, he ends up getting exalted. And so this, this book, I mean, this, the story of Hannah is a microcosm of what we're going to see throughout the book of Samuel, which is your, as you're saying, is a microcosm really of one of the most important themes throughout the Bible story. And, and one of the most important themes of what it means to be a human being on earth. That's right. The human story is get more power, get more money be smarter than everybody else, rise up above everybody else. But what the story of the gospel is and what the story God is telling all throughout scripture is, no, it's the opposite. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and on and on and on. That's what the story of the gospel and what the, the teachings of scripture are trying to lead us to, to lead us out of the destruction. And we know the reason why is there are so many problems in the world uh, and we're, we're discussing so many right now in society at large, it's because people are talking about power or have, to, I should say, have established power structures. And then they tried to hold on to their power, which meant you crush other people. Well, then eventually the crushed will become crushers. At some point, we see this over and over again, cycles throughout history. God's saying, hey, how about you stop doing that? How about you humble yourselves and turn to me? And let me lift you up instead of you trying to lift yourselves up. And that's always the story that is so hard for us to, to grab onto as human beings. Yeah. You see this all throughout the Bible. You see in James, James chapter 4 and verse 6 is one place where this theme is really stressed. Um, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, the, the picture there is God fighting against the proud. And so the reason this matters so much is because if if I don't if I'm not attacking pride and working on rooting it out of my rooting out of my life and out of my heart, um, then it may be that the Lord is actually fighting against me. And if if the Lord is fighting against me, then there is there doesn't matter who's who's on my team, who's on my side, doesn't matter who's for me. If the Lord is against me, I'm I'm in trouble. Um, actually, that's how Hannah ends her prayer. Those who contend with the Lord, verse ten, will be shattered. Against them, he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. 
and he will give strength to his king. He will exalt the horn of his anointed, which kind of gives birth to, I mean, that's kind of like a, a foreshadowing of what the rest of this book is all about. Anybody that's proud and, and opposing and, and, and opposing God, God is going to fight against them and he's going to shatter them. But, but, but actually the Lord will choose someone after his own heart, a, a heart that's lowly and humble, a heart that loves him and seeks him. Um, and he's going to raise him up and, and, and make him his anointed. Yeah, no, it's a great teaser for what we'll get to uh, later. And just one more thing on this major theme of God exalting the lowly and bringing down the proud. There's going to be two more poems uh, for those of you who are going to be keeping track throughout the book of Samuel. So we have this one here at the very beginning of the book here in chapter two. There's going to be another one. And again, think about first and Samuel being merged into one. There's going to be another one exactly in the middle, almost exactly in chapter one of second Samuel. Uh, and the theme of that one is how the mighty have fallen. We'll get to what that's about whenever we get there. And then almost at the very end of Samuel in second Samuel 22, it's an exact copy of Psalm 18, or maybe I should say probably Psalm 18 is an exact copy of second Samuel 22. Uh, but it's a song about that King who reflects on how his life was made meaningful. This King who Hannah sort of prophesies about in verse 10 that king looks back on his life and says, man, the only reason I'm anything is because of my rock and my redeemer, the Lord. And so at the beginning, right in the middle, and at the end, we have three poems that are all reflecting on different dimensions of uh, this idea of the lowly being exalted and the mighty being brought low. At least the wish say the mighty who rebel against God and the lowly who seek after God. So we're going to get introduced to a couple of characters here. As the story moves on, um, we end up learning more about Hannah's son, who actually, Samuel, is who this book is named after. He's in about, uh, what, I think he, he's, he dies, spoiler alert, in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel. But for whatever reason, these books were named after him. They bear his namesake because he really is kind of the key character early on as he becomes this prophet figure in the first part of the book. So what else do you think we need to know about Samuel or kind of reflect on? He's an important figure. We're going to end up just kind of taking part of this first podcast to talk about him. He may come up in future ones, but uh, what, what, what do we need to take away from the life of Samuel in particular? Well, um, I mean, there's a pretty powerful story early on while Samuel is ministering before the Lord and Eli um, when he gets called by God. And uh, it's this crazy story where it's, you know, he's lying down at night and he's in his bed. And all of a sudden, the Lord calls and Samuel says, here I am. And he runs to Eli and he's like, hey, what do you want? You know, you called me. And he was like, no, I didn't call you. And then this thing happens again, does the same thing again. And eventually, Eli finally catches on like, hey, something's going on here. Well, Eli had had two sons who were wicked. Um, they were terrible servants. Uh, they, would, uh, they would try to steal um, uh, a greater portion of the sacrifices than they were entitled to. And if people wouldn't give it to them, then they would, uh, you know, tell, tell them we're going to, we're going to fight you. We're going to take you by force. They would sleep with women um, in the, in the very uh, tabernacle area in the doorway of the tent of meeting. I mean, these are wicked, wicked, corrupt priests because of that. The Lord had rejected them and he was not going to continue uh, using Eli's uh, Eli's descendants to serve as priest before him. Um, and so it's all, and so in chapter three, we find out that actually the Lord is going to raise up Samuel um, to be his prophet 
um, to speak uh, for him and to speak his message to both to Eli and then much further um, to uh, to the kings that would come after him. And 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 I think one thing that's important to realize is we've been we've lived in a time we're talking about a time when most of the leadership has been corrupt has gone far uh, astray uh, from the path that God has led. Samuel becomes a figure, and maybe this is the reason the book is named after him, becomes a figure who basically turns the people yeah. back to God um, as a prophet and as a servant of the Lord. He's faithful to the Lord. Sadly, he has the same problem that Eli did in that he doesn't really do well with raising his children. Um, and his children don't turn out to be faithful to the Lord. Nonetheless, though, Samuel himself is, is faithful to actually turn the heart of people back to God. Um, and, uh, and I think that's why he's such a significant character here in the book. Yeah. And so much so, I mean, certainly Moses and Elijah are the two prophets that throughout Bible history, if you're new to reading the Bible or even if you noticed this before, you'll notice Moses and Elijah are the two that get highlighted the most. But Samuel is definitely number three. I mean, I don't know, I don't know who else is, uh, is, is up there, but I mean, I think Samuel would be the third prophet that gets elevated to that kind of level in the old Testament. And I think it's exactly what you're saying, because this is such a bad time. I mean, we're coming off the period of the judges, which we've talked about previously so bad, like you already highlighted. I mean, chapter three, verse one, I think is supposed to point to us how bad it is. Now the young man, Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision, which by the way, I think is probably a good doctrinal point to make as far as just understanding things, sometimes people think, Oh God was just popping off every, every weekend, just finding somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. There were long periods where even before uh, this period that we're in, where really God communicates us through his communicates to us through his word as the Bible was even being formulated. It wasn't like God was talking to people all the time. And you got to imagine part of the reason was they weren't listening. So what was the point of him talking? Right. But here is this kid, the young man, God chooses a kid, and this is not going to be the, the last time he's going to do that in the book of Samuel. He chooses a kid, the lowliest, the overlooked one, one who didn't even understand what's happening whenever God talks to him. God chooses him to be this one that leads Israel to be spiritually restored, to deal with their enemies and the Philistines, which we may not get into with a, a whole lot of detail in chapters four through seven. But Samuel's the one that basically leads them into battle later on uh, in chapter seven. It's, 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 pow- it's another powerful example of God exalting the lowly. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What else can we talk about Samuel? Um, well, I mean, if it, 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 one of the things that, it, that actually, I guess how this book moves into the time of the king is Eventually, the people come to him and they're like, hey, your kids are not that great. Um, we're not looking forward to having them rule over us. So they say to Samuel in chapter eight, they say, hey, give us a king to, to judge us. And uh, Samuel's heartbroken by that. I think Samuel feels like pierced by that. He feels rejected by that. He feels like, hey, you know, um, they rejected me from, uh, from, from being their leader but God actually says to him, and God reassures him, he's like, hey, you, you just need to understand. Listen to the voice of people in regard to all they say to you. This is chapter 8 and verse 7. Um, For they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. And like all the deeds which they've done since the day that I brought them, 
up, for, up from Egypt even to this day, in that they've forsaken me and served other gods. So they're doing to you also. Now then listen to their voice, however, you, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So again, this is kind of the, a continuation of the picture of what we saw in Judges, where there was no king in Israel. Well, truly, there was a king. They just rejected the king. And again, um, this happens where the people come to Samuel. And even though Samuel has judged Israel all the days of his life, and even though he's been faithful and he's been a, uh, a faithful servant, and he's helped the people to turn back to the Lord, he's helped the people to win battles. Um, he sets up memorial stones to remind them of God's victory and how he's delivered them from the Philistines and rescued them uh, from all sorts of messes and how God uh, punished their enemies and tore down the, the idols of their enemies to show that he was the true God. Even though Samuel has like led this revival in Israel, the people are still like, nah, we don't, we don't need this. You know, we're, we, we don't, we don't uh, give us some, give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. And, uh, and even though that's heartbreaking to Samuel, um, the Lord tells Samuel, hey, listen to them. Give them what they want. They want a king to reign over them. You let them experience. Just warn them. Tell them what it's going to be like. Tell them what the king's going to do to them. But, uh, but understand that it's not really you that's being rejected. Um, it's, it, it's me. The amazing thing is Samuel just does it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think if I were in Samuel's shoes, I'm afraid. I hope I'd have the same kind of humility he has. But I'm afraid I'd be like, yeah, I get what you're saying, Lord, but they are rejecting me. Like, I'm their leader. I've been, I've been teaching them. I've been, they've been coming to me for judgments, which is what they want to do with a king. That's what other nations do with their king. Yeah. I've led them into battle. You already pointed out in, in, uh, in chapter 7 and verse 12, they won this great victory. And he sets up the stone, Ebenezer. God has helped us. Stone of help. You know what I mean? I've, I've been the guy leading the way. They are rejecting me, but you don't see any of that. Right. He is, he's, he's maintained a lowly spirit, just like when he was a kid back in chapter three, he says, all right, Lord. And he just does it. Meanwhile, the people, no doubt the reason why they were attracted to the idea of a king was because they saw the power, the might of the nations around them. And they were drawn to that. Um, and it, Samuel is a great figure in that way that he consistently demonstrates a submission to God yeah. and a, a God first. What does God think? What does God want? How would God want things to be done? That's what the whole thing was about for Samuel. And that's what makes him such a great figure uh, all throughout. Even though, as, as you mentioned, obviously the one glaring failure was with his, with his children. He didn't raise his children right. Maybe because he was so caught up in dealing with the nation as a whole, he didn't pay attention to what was going on at home. Anyway, it's a really, I don't know, it's, it's, chapter 8 is a really impressive and tragic moment. And it's a really important moment in Bible history. Because this is the moment where God's people become a human monarchy. Before, they were just supposed to be ruled by God as their king. But now they're going to pivot to where they have a king. Yeah. yeah I think uh, that phrase that Eli puts in Samuel's mouth in chapter 3, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, yeah. is a pretty good picture of, of, of his life. You know, um, Samuel's life is a life of listening and then speaking what the Lord shares with him, um, speaking the words that come from the Lord. And, and I, I do think that's, it's pretty remarkable that right after he has this conversation with, with the Lord, he turns right around and speaks all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked him for a king. He, he just goes and he does what his duty is. 
Samuel realized he was a servant of the Lord. Um, and because of that, um, he was careful to listen to the words of God and then, and then to be faithful to present it to the people, which just as a side point, or maybe not a side point, maybe the main point, if, if we're going to do the work of God in this world, that's what, that's how we do it. Like that's, if we want to help lead a revival in this world, that's how we do it. We listen to God and we say, as we hear him speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then as we hear from God, his word, we speak that word to the people and we share the words that God has shared with us in his word with others so that, so that the people can know how to be faithful to him, how to obey him, how to, how to keep their covenant with him and how to do his will. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and, and connecting with what you said there to the Bible story as a whole, if we saw how Hannah's sort of microcosm of how God would look after the lowly, the dirt, Noah, you know, whatever, like God would always lift these up. This notion of speak, Lord, your servant is, is listening. That is what Samuel's perspective there, which, as you said, Eli told him to have, is a juxtaposition to a number of characters throughout yeah. the book of Samuel. It's also uh, a juxtaposition to Israel as a whole. Right. And yet it was the call of Israel. If you go back, we talked about how Samuel is sort of like, the, I mean, maybe in ranking, he may be the third of the prophets of Israel, Moses, then Elijah, then Samuel. But historically, he's the second big time prophet. I mean, we've had other people, we talked about Deborah last time, but Moses uh, and then Samuel's kind of the next big time prophet in Israel. Well, Moses told the people of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, his parting words so often were, listen, listen, listen. Samuel is doing what Israel as a whole was supposed to do. And in that way, he was trying to lead them back to the way they ought to be. But yeah. they weren't happy with Samuel, the prophet, priest, servant guy. Uh, they wanted a king. So as you pointed out, God says, all right, give him a king. And so we're introduced to the first king of Israel, Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, first legitimate king. Um, I don't know how we're supposed to read the story of Abimelech in Judges 9. He wanted to be a king, but I don't think he really counts. But anyway, Saul is introduced, and Saul is just exactly, he matches up with what we want. He was a guy from the lowliest of the tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. He taking care of things for his dad, going out, finding donkeys that had gotten lost. And whenever God connects Samuel with Saul and says, hey, this is going to be the guy, Saul is just sort of flabbergasted. He's like, I don't think you got the right guy. I'm not going to be a king or anything like that. Matter of fact, whenever it's time for him to be presented as king to the people of Israel, he feels so and we could maybe psychoanalyze this and stuff, but I think it's supposed to be portrayed as kind of this, this admirable trait, I mm -hmm. think, in the text that he's so uncomfortable with the notion of being the king. He just doesn't think of himself in that kind of way that he's hiding in the baggage. Uh, mm -hmm. There's maybe a negative way of looking at that, that he's rejecting God's call for him to be king, and maybe that's the right way to look at it. But at least there's something uh, at, in the story we've seen so much, uh, the problem of pride. It's like, hey, this is cool. All right, like this guy, he's humble, he's lowly. Uh, now, a lot of the people didn't really legitimize him at first. Matter of fact, in chapter 10 and verse 27, it says some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But chapter 10 and verse 27 says he held his peace. So he's humble enough to not attack other people, maybe because he thought, 
I'm not real sure that I can save you guys. I don't know what the reason was, but he held his peace. But then in chapter 11, whenever his people get in trouble, he doesn't say, oh, how can I save you, huh? But instead <laughs> he springs into action and goes to serve them and take care of them. I mean, the first few chapters of this introduction to King Saul, it really maps onto this notion of the lowly being exalted, this guy that he didn't see himself as something special. And yet God lifts him up and makes him something special. So it's pretty exciting in the early days of what we see with Saul. Yeah. And he's even got, he's even got like opportunities for vengeance towards these people who said, you know, shall Saul reign over us. Um, people are like, people are like, Hey, let's, let's kill all those guys, you know? And Saul is the one who stands up and says, not a man shall be put to death this day for today. The Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel really good signs early on from this king and it makes you really hopeful like actually maybe this was a good idea you know after all samuel's sons weren't what they ought to have been maybe this is a good idea to ask for a king this sounds really really hopeful here's a guy who's pointing to all the glory to the lord who's not taking himself too seriously even though people are disrespecting him um and and hating him he, he refuses to take vengeance. He defends them and protects them. I mean, that's everything you want in a king, right? And he's tall. Like, he's a big guy, too, you know? So. Yeah, so he's good for battle, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you would think, I mean, it feels like as you're reading the story, it's just going to go up and up and up. Oh, this is great. But, so there's a strange interlude in the story of Saul. We, it it kind of felt like in Chapter 8, okay, bye, Samuel. Thanks. We'll see you later. And now it's going to be Saul's show. But in Chapter 12, after Saul, you know, and, and we think of a – one day you're made king and you're king. That's not necessarily what it was. Frankly, Israel wasn't really a united kingdom very much at this point, I think is the indication from judges in the, in the book of Samuel. So there was kind of this slow burn process of everybody actually getting on the same page and Saul being recognized as king overall. And maybe that's why uh, chronologically we have this interlude in chapter 12 in the story of Saul where Samuel gives his actual farewell address. Whatever the chronology would be, thematically, it's important that we note this because Samuel in this farewell address, it's not like a man, we did so much and, you know, we defeated the Philistines and we got the Ark of the Covenant back and we had some good times, y'all. It's really very reminiscent of what you see at the end of Moses' uh, time with Israel in the book of Deuteronomy at the very end. It's very similar to what Joshua does at the end of the book of Joshua. And here Samuel gives a farewell address. Now he's still going to be living and ministering. He's just not going to be the main leader of Israel. But in this address, it's mostly warnings. And I think there's a couple of verses that are pretty ominous and unfortunately hit the nail right on the head with what was going to be coming. In verse 14 beginning, there's probably a lot we could pick up on. But Samuel says in 1 Samuel 12, verse 14, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. It will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. It's, again, it's kind of like Moses does in Deuteronomy 30. Here's the two options, life and death, blessing and cursing. If you obey God, good. If you don't disobey God, bad. And he, he specifically calls out the king, Saul, in this section. Are you going to 
and the language we've kept on using throughout this podcast has been humble yourself, but really the manifestation of genuine humility before God is obedience. Are you going to do what God says? Are you humble enough to say, hey, God, whatever you say, that's what I believe, and that's what I'm going to do to the best of my ability? Or when I mess up, I'm going to turn it right around and try to obey you again. That's the question. Well, that leads us into chapter 13. So, I mean, Samuel's done, and now Saul is, he's the man. And uh, not that Samuel's, he's going to appear in the story, obviously. But uh, anyway, as far as the leader, he's not going to be the main guy. Well, chapter 13 rolls around, and Saul's going to go into battle. And there's a bunch of the enemy, the Philistines, and that would make you nervous. You're a new king. You haven't really won a lot of big battles. This was kind of a, as far as we can tell in the story, the first big, big, big showdown that Saul was going to be leading. And verse 8 says, uh, well, he was waiting for Samuel to come to offer a sacrifice. Because even though Samuel wasn't the political leader of Israel, or military leader of Israel, he was still the spiritual leader that Saul was looking to. He's the guy that put Saul in. So Saul was really looking for him. And in chapter 13 and verse 8, it says he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering. So this is bad. I'm, I'm losing my people. So Saul, the king said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw the people were scattering from me and you didn't come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines have come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the favor of the Lord. So you can even see like he's got some godly spiritual stuff that he's thinking. Then he says, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. I forced myself. Now for us, like, oh, okay, big deal. Well, the big deal was he didn't have the right to do that. That was for the priest to do, for Samuel to do in this case. Mm -hmm. So Samuel responded in verse 13. He said, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. In other words, Samuel says, remember that thing I just said like a few weeks back, chapter 12, verses 14, that thing I just said, I said like five ways, fear the Lord, keep his word, obey the commandment, follow the Lord, all that stuff. You didn't do that, dude. Like this is your first test and you failed. If you would have, then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. God would have lifted you up. You, lowly Saul, he would have lifted you up and made you the king forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded. Yeah, pretty uh, heartbreaking story here. This is like, um, you know, he's, he, every, up until this point, everything's been beautiful. Everything's been encouraging. And it's like, hey, here's your chance. And the first big test that Saul faces, he fails miserably. Um, there's, there's really no excusing it. And, but isn't this what we often do when we don't do what the Lord has commanded and we get afraid and we disobey and we do something we ought not to? all of a sudden the excuses start flowing, um, you know, and uh, he's got every, he's got all kind of reasons for why he did what, what he did. Um, but Samuel just has one response. You've done what's foolish. You've disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. And because of that, there's going to be a consequence. Uh, you're not going to be, you're not going to be king over Israel forever. In essence, 
what Saul becomes in this book is, is the people's king, um, whereas eventually God is going to raise up his own king. Yeah. And Saul, I mean, we're going we're to be with Saul a little bit in future discussions, but just kind of put a bow on this as far as the, the decline of Saul, which is, was just as quick as his ascent, you know, which yeah. is maybe indicative of that message. God exalted Saul. Saul didn't build his way up by his own strength. It was God just said, hey, you're lowly, now you're mighty. God also said, oh, you're mighty, now you're lowly. Because you didn't obey me, you didn't listen to me. Chapter 14, you see that. I mean, Saul becomes this abusive military commander, a foolish military. He, he tells his soldiers, you guys can't eat until all the enemies are defeated, which is the dumbest idea in the world. Why would you want your soldiers to be more tired? You know, But it's almost a slave driver mentality that Saul has. So much so that he almost kills his son because his son, who didn't know about the commandment that Saul gave, Jonathan, he eats something. By the way, Jonathan was someone who trusted the Lord and fought against the Philistines, and he ate something because he hadn't heard about the vow uh, that Saul had put over all the men. And then Saul's like, well, I guess I got to kill my son. And all the people are like, dude, no, what are you talking about? Like, this guy led up a great victory for us. So he becomes this abusive, foolish military commander. In chapter 15, God gives Saul instructions to punish uh, the Amalekites, a nation that had been uh, abusive and oppressive in the past, and it was time for them to be judged by God's, by God's will. Saul mostly obeys, but he doesn't do all that God commanded. If you want to know more about it, you read chapter 15. And when Samuel again shows up and he's like, hey, what happened, man? I thought we said kill all the animals. Why am I hearing animals? Saul's so like, oh, you know, the people, you know, they, 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 they wanted to keep some of the animals and all this kind of stuff. But this I did, is obey. I did obey the voice of the right. Lord. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I did. I did. But he didn't. And that's what Samuel says, uh, that you didn't obey. And this is the, this is the, the other line that, that Samuel gives, I think is a good application point for us with this whole notion of, because we may say, okay, how do I become a lowly person? And we've already touched on this a little bit, but I think it's worth um, reading what uh, the words the prophet were to Saul, who had become proud in his own eyes, and he had lifted up himself. And uh, verse 17, Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. He goes on in verse 22, and Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you. He goes on and says in verse 28, there's this dramatic scene where Samuel walks away after this little conversation and Saul grabs his clothes and his robe tears off in Saul's hands. So Samuel's walking away and there's Samuel's clothing in, in Saul's hands. And Samuel looks down and he says, just like you tore that off, God has torn the kingdom away from you because you become mighty in your own eyes. You think you're, you're too big for God's commandments. You think you're too smart to listen to God. You think you know better and you can do things that would impress God or make God think that you're worth something you're not. You just need to obey. You need to humble yourself. You need to speak. You need to say to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant hears. That was the lesson Saul needed to learn. And man, what a great, what a grave and significant lesson we need to learn. 
to obey is better than any sacrifice you could ever give, anything you could ever do in the world. All God wants is for you to listen to him and do what he says. And if you'll do that, he'll lift you up. Yeah, this, this is just a sobering reminder that partial obedience to God is disobedience. Um, that offering like worship to God out of some sort of disobedience is not worship that is pleasing to God. Um, he, he, he says here, I mean, kind of a shocking thing that Samuel says, um, rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. That is to say, you know, right after this, Saul goes back and he worships the Lord. And, and I don't get the impression, um, I'm trying to think, you might remember other stories, but I don't get the impression that Saul ever claims to stop worshiping the Lord till the day, his di- t- till the day of his death. It's not like he like, goes chasing after like gods of wood and stone, um, you know, till the day that he dies, he, he, he claims to be a servant of the Lord. But because of his partial obedience and, and, his, and truly his disobedience, he is rejected by God. And his worship is, is truly in vain. Um, and until, until we humble our hearts and repent truly of our disobedience and turn back to God with, with a true and a full heart, a whole heart, um, any, any sort of worship, any sort of sacrifice that we make for the Lord is in vain if it's not coming from a heart that is holy moving towards God. Yeah. And there's such a tragic line at the end of the chapter. Verse 35, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Which by the way is very similar language back to Genesis chapter six. God said he regretted that he had made man. So when you go back to Genesis 6, how wicked and evil people were, there's a parallel right here that God regretted he had done. Just like God said basically to Moses, I regret that I delivered the people of Israel. You know, there's all these stories. I mean, you see this, this continuation. Here we're seeing sort of the up-close individual versions of the problems that have plagued humanity all throughout the Bible story, and even up to this day. People, as you say, even partially obeying God, but not fully obeying him. And what it does, it turns you into a monster, like it will with Saul. We're going to see as we move through the story of Saul, we're going to transition more into looking at the, the true king that God's going to appoint to succeed Saul. But Saul's going to just turn into a monster as the story goes on because he didn't humble himself. He didn't obey. People like Hannah, people like Samuel, they become brighter and brighter as their life goes on because they, they poured their soul out to the Lord. They trusted in him. They said, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And their life became greater and greater and more enriched as it went on. Though it was filled with sacrifice and obedience and all these things, it became greater. Saul's life um, in his pride and disobedience becomes really tragic as we move. All right. Anything else we need to say? Um, I don't know. I mean, we covered a lot of ground. Obviously, anybody who's listening uh, we, we just kind of given like a little intro smattering of these first 15 chapters of first Samuel and kind of overarching uh, themes. There's a lot of detail that you'll want to read about because there's lots of great stories that we we weren't able to touch. Uh, but what else do you think we need to kind of say before we wrap this thing up? Well, Samuel is just a, it's just a picture of what the Proverbs say that pride is an abomination to the Lord. When we think about the things that the Lord hates, we might have a lot of things that come to our mind, but when God lists the things that he hates, when Solomon lists in the Proverbs the things that he hates, um, haughty eyes is at the top of the list. 
And so we need to recognize this and we need to address it in our own hearts. Amen. Let's humble ourselves in obedience to God. Thanks for joining us, guys. We always appreciate everybody uh, that gives feedback and checks in. If you ever have any recommendations, if you have any questions, anything that, uh, that we can help with, like we said, please don't hesitate to reach out either on our website, thewaybk.com, or our Facebook page, The Way BK. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, guys. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.